Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who loves the Midwest because all the jokes are corny, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know around the tech industry. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, I'm in Valparaiso, Indiana, with my executive producer, Erica Anderson. Hey, Erica, explain why I'm in Indiana. Hey, Kara. Well, welcome to Valparaiso, Thank my you. hometown. This yes. is a real treat. Okay. Um, I come back every year for the annual Popcorn Festival, which mm-hmm. is a celebration of one of Indiana's um, early entrepreneurs, Orville Redenbacher. Yeah, I've heard of him. Started a company in 1952. Actually, interesting, he sold a lot of things before he sold and created the hybrid seed mm-hmm. um, that became a best-selling popcorn in America. Right. Um, fertilizer, snowmobiles, and then he came up with this innovation. Um, so anyways, we come back. You've actually been telling me that you want to come to Valpo, so I yeah. took you up on that it this year. That was Well, well, but you, you came, <laughs> so here, here we are. I am here. And then I was like, well, if we're here, let's do a show on entrepreneurs in Indiana. Yeah, I jumped out of the plane halfway across oh, the, my coastal elite living. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I Kara, did this that. is good for you. No, I've been to lots of big places in the Midwest. I did a really good podcast from Kentucky. I've done a lot of yeah. stuff from all over the country. And you've talked a lot to Steve Case, who's made a lot of investments yes, in, in here. Yes, yeah. and yeah. things like that. So we've talked about the concept a lot, but we, what we want to talk about is an issue that I have talked about about is that talent is everywhere, it's opportunity is not. Um, and that we have to really think really hard in the next age where innovation is coming from and what industry, including ag tech, including health tech, including all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things, I do do a lot of Silicon Valley interviews. I do a lot in New York and now in DC because of regulatory issues. But now it's really important if we're going to move into the next stage and, and think about jobs and everything else mm-hmm. to find out where it's coming from. So when I, uh, then I found out we'd be coming here, I decided it'd be really enlightening to talk to entrepreneurs here in Indiana to learn about how they feel about the state of innovation in the U.S. And so Erica found three great guests who work here. So let's meet them now. First is Sarah Hallberg, and she's the medical director of Verta Health, and her work on no surgery, no medication treatments for diabetes has had a huge impact on how type 2 diabetes is treated across the country. Eric Christopher is the co-founder of Zylo and CEO of Zylo, which is an enterprise company that helps customers manage cloud applications and IT spending. And finally, Robin Fleming is the CEO of Anvil, A-N-V-L, is that right? Correct. Uh, Which uses cloud-based software to reduce and prevent injuries among maintenance workers. She's also a former vice president of technology at Angie's List. Sarah, Eric, and Robin, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. So lean lean on in. We're sharing, we're in a a station here. WVLP. WVLP. local station. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so we're sharing microphones. Um, So, and we don't often do a lot of group shows, but it's really interesting. I've done a couple on certain topics. I want you guys each to sort of explain what, what, how you got your start. Why don't we start with you, Sarah, and then go to Eric and then Robin. Go ahead. Um, yeah, thank you. So my um, journey is an interesting one because I am a physician. Um, that uh, was my early career. And before that, actually, I was an exercise physiologist. And so my background was in preventative medicine. And I wound up in internal medicine as a chosen course and then practiced primary care for almost 10 years. And it was a tough time. I would come home every night and say to my husband, I'm not sure if I can make it to retirement. And Mm -hmm. I felt like a drug dealer. That's all we did. You know, we were rushed through patients and all I saw was people continuing to get worse. So I was really fortunate in that Indiana University Health, where I worked, they asked me to start an obesity program. 
And I had an opportunity to spend um, almost a year with literally my nose in the literature, which is something that is not afforded to most physicians because we just get so busy and then, you know, you just go with what you need. scripts for pain. Yeah, scripts for this, you know, everything. You know, write a script for this. And we don't have time to really get back in and say, you know, what is in the literature on this stuff? Just we go with what we're taught. And I was, you know, really tasked with solving the unsolvable problem, right? What do we do about obesity? And so when I had the opportunity to spend this time, I realized that what I had been telling people for, you know, at that point, close to 20 years, eat a low-fat diet. That's what you need to do. Eat a low-fat diet. It'll fix everything. There was actually no evidence for it. Mm -hmm. It was what I was taught, Mm -hmm. but was it what was scientifically proven? Not at all. And so when the clinic opened, I opened it as a low-carbohydrate clinic, and we pivoted almost immediately in what we were doing. Instead of obesity as our primary goal, we were working with diabetes because what was happening Mm -hmm. when people restricted carbohydrates is their diabetes was going away. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what? Where does this happen? Where is this in the guidelines? You know, we get people off of hundreds of units of insulin. I mean, unheard of by what I knew. Mm -hmm. And so I got angry. Really, and, and sometimes anger can actually it's be a good productive. Way to do entrepreneurship. Yeah, sure. it, can, it, it can be very productive. It depends on what you do with the anger. And so, I decided I was going to contribute to the research because it wasn't fair that only the people who are coming to our clinic were able to get this opportunity to do true disease reversal. And we did a small pilot study, and then I was fortunate enough to meet Dr. Steve Finney at a obesity conference, actually, where we were both speaking. And we went out to dinner that night. I told him I was looking for funding for a larger trial. He said, I am just started a company. We're looking to do a trial. And so over dinner, we basically planned the longest and largest ever nutrition intervention, uh, looking at carbohydrate restriction specifically um, for type 2 diabetes. And we are three and a half years into our five-year trial. And pretty soon after, I realized Steve and his company, Verta Health, which he founded with one of his research partners, Dr. Jeff uh, Volick from Ohio State University and Sami Eichnen and they had the answer to what we had been searching for, which was everyone at IU saying, Sarah, this is great. How do you scale it? Mm -hmm. And tech comes into that. Tech Mm -hmm. comes into absolutely scaling. And tech is Mm -hmm. how you scale it. Okay. And I was so impressed that I joined the company. All right. And so now I work at the Indiana office of Verda Health. And Verda is based in San Francisco, but actually Verda has a really strong commitment to the state of Indiana because this is where our clinical trial was. Mm. Right. And this is where a number of our first um, customer base um, was. And so... um, And Verda does... Verda is an online specialty clinic. We are in the business of reversing type 2 diabetes without medications or surgeries. There's a lot of these highly specific companies like Color, Genomics, and others uh, that deal with a lot of things. All right, next. Eric, that's fascinating. Go ahead, Eric. That's great, thanks. Um, My name is Eric Christopher. I... uh um, I hail from uh, Indiana. And hail. You said the word hail. It must be from <laughs> Love Indiana. Love it. Love it. <laughs> um, I started my career uh, with a company called Exact Target shortly after college. And, um, you know, I've spent the last 16 years in SaaS and focused on enterprise SaaS technology. I started the, the company, actually partnered up with Scott Dorsey, who is the founder of, of Exact Target, to start Zylo, uh, which is my company today. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in, in Indiana, my father was an entrepreneur. He had a small auto shop, so I kind of knew I always wanted to start a company. So that was part oh, of the inspiration. Just auto repairs? Yeah, used right. cars. Right. Yeah, I built a great career and, you know, uh, put me through college and, you know, things like that. 
Yeah. And so, you know, for me, I, I sort of lucked into So did you go right to entrepreneurship or? I started a company in college. I almost uh, left. Uh, I went to Indiana University and I went to the business school. And, you know, the, typically what happens, you graduate from a university like Indiana, you go into big consulting or you go into mm-hmm. a Fortune 500. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to meet a couple of uh, of uh, people that were starting a company in college. So we had this startup called Streetside Investor. It ended up not going anywhere, but it was actually during the, the dot-com kind of boom and bust. And I just loved it. I loved, you know, working in a, a small environment. You know, um, we could make change. We could build a product very quickly. And so when I left IU, I ended up um, going to Indianapolis and uh, living in an investor's guest house who happened to invest in Exact Target, and that got my start. So it was well, kind of a lucky exact, break. And Exact Target, of course, that was bought by Salesforce. Salesforce, right? And yeah. so that was really responsible for, I think, bringing a bit of um, well money to Indianapolis. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you you could credit probably a dozen or so companies that have started since Exact Target, coming from alumni. We joke we call ours the Exact Target Mafia. You mm-hmm. know, there's the PayPal Mafia. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that, that's our mm-hmm. mafia. So you started Zylo. And what does Zylo do? Zylo is an enterprise SaaS company, software as a service, and we actually help, ironically, companies manage all of their software subscriptions. Companies buy so much, they have no idea what they have. Mm-hmm. They have no idea how to measure value. And so we work with the largest companies in the world. So like, what would they have with subscriptions? Uh, subscriptions, everything from Salesforce. To uh, Slack. To, to Slack, to Zoom, to you know every, every single application, Asana. And, and you give them an idea of whether it's useful or how much people use it? Yeah, there's kind of three components. We, um, we, we want to let the company know what they have. So believe it or not, companies really don't have a way to inventory what they have. So they buy multiple subscriptions and things yeah. like that. So we track spend. Uh, we also measure utilization because ultimately you want your employees to be more productive, get the most out of those tools. So we help with that. Okay. All right. Um, Hi, Robin. Uh, Robin Fleming. So I hail uh, from Arkansas. Uh, Grew up there. uh, Went to uh, Washtenaw Baptist University where I focused on journalism and art. Uh, About midway through school, I started realizing that I really had a passion for computer science. And I was, I'm kind of the poster child of that young woman in a STEM field who almost didn't get in the STEM field. Right. Uh, Have you done that since you were young? Since I was young. So I, I started out, and this is relevant to, to Anvil, is I ended up with an internship with International Paper Company to implement an inventory control software system. So I wore steel-toed shoes, hard hat, went down into the plant every day to implement a software program. I had no idea what I was doing and I was horrible and I loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. So I finished my degree and ended up going straight to Dallas and have worked in software really ever since. Um, worked for some name brands. Uh, I worked for Match.com, which was fantastic right before moving to Indiana. Uh, moved for my, my ex-husband's family and to join a company called Aprimo. Uh, and Aprimo during my interview was bought by Teradata. Uh, which was super fun. And then after uh, Teradata, I went to Angie's List. And uh, Angie's List was another IAC acquisition, putting that together with Home Advisor and spinning that out. Uh, so for me, um, you know, I never imagined I would be living in Indiana. And when I first moved there, I thought that perhaps I would move away. Um, right, after that you leaving. had to. And Angie's List to. is based where? I for- it's, it's in Indiana, in, Indiana. in, in Indianapolis. And they right. kept uh, the Angie Home Services company there as well. And you, what did you do for them? Um, I ran part of the technology organization, helping them build cloud environment, build out that tech platform. So. so you had been there and then wanted to start your own. So I was not sure what I wanted to do. So I was interviewing on the West Coast. I was interviewing on the East Coast. I had lots of opportunities outside Indy. And I was approached by High Alpha, which was founded by Scott Dorsey, who is the founder, one of the founders in 
and CEO of Exact Target. Mm-hmm. Um, and he founded High Alpha, which is a venture studio to. Which often company. happens. A lot of entrepreneurs always start. Yeah, it, firms. they do. And it's fantastic. It's a studio that builds companies. So so they pitched me an idea about uh, a worker safety product that Cummins had brought to them. So Cummins mm-hmm. is a, a Fortune uh, 120 company, a very successful company that's based in Indiana. Uh, they had a spark of an idea on how to keep workers safe, uh, brought that to High Alpha, and that's how Anvil was born. So, so they wanted some a piece of software. Yeah, so Cummins really wanted to drive down their injury numbers. They've got they've really got a stellar record, but they want to go to zero. They want to make sure that everybody goes home at the end of the day. And they knew if they tried to build the software internally, it probably wouldn't go so well. It's like a like an IT project. So they brought it to mm-hmm. High Alpha and that was the spark that that started Anvil. Can you imagine if Google did that? Kara, what? Like, like said, hey, we can't do this well internally. Let's no, like have. No, never. No. <laughs> <laughs> they try to solve um, everything. But actually, I do want to. I want to talk a bit about what each of your companies. I think it's interesting. You've all chosen different areas to disrupt. Essentially, when it comes to worker safety, you have a view into manufacturing in America that I think is quite interesting. Talk about the technology and how you have innovated the sector of of worker safety. Sure. I mean, if you think about uh, the deskless worker, the estimates are there's about 2.7 billion deskless workers uh, in the U.S. That's about 80% of the workforce. And there's some... Well, Kara's uh, deskless. She never does in the <laughs> office. But well, you were talking about actually... Yeah. Manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about the percentage of workers in a hazardous environment, there's about 100 million workers every day that are in a hazardous environment. And that's who we're focused on. So that could be construction. It could be the worker who's going out to work to make sure you've got electricity after a storm. Yeah. It could be oil and gas. It is manufacturing floor. Uh, it could be companies like Cummins where workers or on the top of the building working on a generator or in a mine working on on an engine on a large piece of equipment. So um, there's been a focus about making the worker be safe. There's enterprise health and safety solutions and regulatory reasons why companies have to be safe. And there's fantastic software programs for that. But there's nothing for the frontline worker there's still a large proliferation of paper processes, literally paper forms that workers have to fill out every day, whether it's a work permit, an inspection, a pre-work assessment. That takes time. It doesn't engage them, and it doesn't really solve the problem of safety. So huge opportunity for us to put something in the hands of that worker. And oh, by the way, guess what they have? They have mobile devices for us to do that on. All right, so I want to each of you, I want to explain your business. So you make a mobile device where people fill out different things that keeps them safer. How? Yes. Yeah, so think about um, we have we have software that we deploy. It's deployed on a mobile device for that frontline worker, and it takes a what used to be a form and it turns it into really kind of a smart checklist. So it's easy to use. You know, these are guys with uh, and, and gals with greasy fingers and gloves. So it's super easy. Makes them stop and think. We get answers to questions, and then all that data we serve up to managers and leaders. So it's really about the data that we get. So they're answering. Give me an example. Uh, it could be, are you trained and authorized for this job? The traditional worker, maybe under pressure, might say, no, I'm not, and turn around and say, yeah, I am. The answer right might really be, no, I'm not. And so we flag that to managers and leaders so they can reach out and have a conversation with someone. And make and sure. There's also an analysis of the data you get, too, even yeah. like when injury occurs. So you can look back and say, well, what happened in that situation? So there's sensors involved, right? Like you're really understanding the environment in a pretty in-depth way. Yeah, today we're focused on um, most companies really just want to get from paper to something better in the hands of the worker, but 
our vision. Our vision is to take uh, sensor data to leverage wearables so that mm -hmm. we can send text messages and create communication between that worker and, and that manager and right. leader. Right, so. the sensor area is really important. All right, um, why don't we talk a little bit about how do you deploy yes, with, with what you're doing, Sarah? Yeah, so um, Verta Health, again, we started out with our clinical trial um, and had amazing results. So we published earlier this year the two-year results of the clinical trial and people following the Verda treatment, we had 54% um, type 2 diabetes reversal in our patients uh, of the completers. So what do you give them? What is the technology So this is solution? nutrition combined with technology. So one of the things, again, when I was back banging my head in primary care is that the advice was wrong. And so here at Verta, we combine the right nutrition advice with the technology and essentially, again, restricting carbohydrates in someone who has type 2 diabetes because carbohydrates are what cause our insulin, which is step number one, to go up, and then blood sugar to go up. We decrease those significantly in the diet, teach people how to do that sustainably, which has always been a concern. How do you do that sustainably? It's a restrictive diet. Mm -hmm. You know, people won't be able to do that in the long term. Um, and we've shown actually, not only again with the right nutrition advice, but then that support via the technology that they can because- So, so an app. It's an app, yeah. and, but it's much more than just an app because if you Google diabetes app, you know, there'll be hundreds mm -hmm. of them. Right. It's, the only one that actually not only has a health coach for each participant, but a physician. And that's where the big yep. difference comes in. That's been in. a big move in a lot of these health apps. It is, because can you imagine, you know, a patient puts in their blood sugar and it's going down because, of course, you know, their health coach has helped them with that nutrition change, and but they're on insulin. And, you know, normally that would be a visit to the doctor's office a couple of, you know, weeks to maybe a month or more later. But what if... Before you even drove to the office that day, you had a call and a text from your health coach and physician, hey, we noticed your blood sugar. It's mm -hmm. down, you need to decrease the insulin. And that's the direct you know, instruction from the physician. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a few years ago, this would be like Star Trek, mm -hmm. crazy stuff. What do you mean? You know, I report in, but we're heading it off. Mm -hmm. And so again, we have this feedback loop with patients inputting data. Maybe they just step on their scale. It goes to the health coach and the physician. So we can make appropriate nutrition recommendations, really all based on carbohydrate restriction um, for type 2 diabetes. And then again, have the physician oversight and supervision. So it's a combination. I imagine, by the way, creating daily active users, which is something tech companies care so much about, how hard it is to create a feedback loop when it comes to something where people can have shame around their health. So I think it would be very difficult in that world of health to encourage and incentivize and reward people for using an app like that. So that's that's very interesting. Eric? Yeah, so the way Xylo works, um, we typically work with large enterprises. So companies like Spotify or Nike, as an example, we work with um, IT departments. And what we do is we we integrate into financial systems. So we track every single payment that's made to a, SA, a software so system. Yes, yeah. yeah, so they know what they're paying for. Then we also tap in directly to their applications. So, you know, your Salesforce account or your Zoom account. And we monitor how the employees are using the software. And then we combine all that data, give insights. Um, we provide benchmarking um, as well. Um, we've, um, we've actually analyzed over $100 billion of payments and managed about $10 billion of uh, SaaS subscription data. So, and so you would tell them they're not using this, they're using this, this has been helpful, but you, can you judge how helpful it's been to people by the usage? Is that or There's lots of different data points. There's lots of different data points. Um, I think we're in the early stages where just companies don't really know what 
you know, what they're, what they're using inside those applications. So, you know, imagine you're using a, a, an agreement that's several millions of dollars and you don't know if it's licensed correctly yeah, for seats right. and things like that. So we're kind of aligning the provider and the customer better with better data and, uh, and giving the customer an unbiased view as because well, these companies important. are only interested in selling more seeds. So yeah, exactly. Like Microsoft or any of them, Salesforce. Exactly, and, and it's changing though. You know, the subscription whole model, the model, and the consumer right is going to shift into the enterprise. Companies like Zoom, um, Slack are you know newer examples of how they're changing licensing models to be more favorable to customers. You know, Slack will give you a license back if you don't use it. Right. Um, you know, and so we're ultimately helping provide that kind of transparency. I, I noticed, Eric, that you are partners with Slack. You were at Slack's annual conference, Frontier 2019. What does that look like? What What does Slack want to partner? partner with you on and what's that relationship like? Yeah, there's uh, kind of three components. There's a customer, a partner, and an investor relationship there. So they invested in our Series A round, Mm -hmm. which is exciting. Um, We have an integration where uh, employees can provide feedback about software right inside um, Slack. Um, And and, and so that's another another, uh, important point. And then also we help through Slack uh, customers find software. So one challenge if you're an employee is I'd like a survey tool. Typically, you'd email your entire employee base and say, hey, does anybody have a survey application? Right. Now you can discover right within Xylo or within Slack you know, what types of tools that you're right, using. Right, which is useful. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk when we get back about what it's like to start a company here in Indiana and how, it's, uh, how you look at areas like Silicon Valley, New York, and others, um, and what needs to happen to make uh, these areas more, uh, get, bring more money to them, not innovation, because innovation does exist. We're here in Valparaiso, Indiana, with three entrepreneurs, Sarah Hallberg, from Verda Health, Eric Christopher from Zylo, and Robin Fleming from Anvil, A-N-V-L. It's a cool name. We're going to take a quick break now, and Erica and I will be back to talk more after this. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It will be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash Notepad. We're back. This is Eric Anderson, and we are with Sarah Hallberg from Verda Health, Eric Christopher from Zylo, and Robin Fleming from Anvil. And we're talking about uh, doing business in the Midwest. Now, there's lots of areas of this country that have tried to be Silicon Valley of the, um, whether it's in Kentucky, and they're trying to do Silicon Holler, they're trying to do Silicon Beach down in Santa Monica, um, Austin, I forget there, whatever, Silicon cattle. I don't know. I don't know what they call themselves. But this is this idea that there should be more centers of innovation across the country because as jobs shift and jobs change. And I was told this morning by Erica's father about the manufacture, the steel industry was here for years. It's still here, but it's significantly smaller from 80,000 jobs to 10,000. Can each of you sort of talk about what it's like to be an entrepreneur here? Do you feel like second class citizens next to Silicon Valley or the big tech centers? You know, you're the techiest tech person because you're sale. You're in sales, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And you're a doctor, so you're not originally a techie. But talk about it because you've been at a lot of companies. Yeah, I think um, you know if you look at the Midwest in general, there's 150 Fortune 500 companies, so it's uh, there's significant uh, companies here. You know, for me, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have a startup in Indiana is because it is a growing ecosystem. And even the Indy Metroplex, 
there's a vibe. You know, we've had those small companies for a while. We had some big companies with the big exits, you know, like Exact Target, Angie's List. Um, and then there's big companies like Lilly and, and Anthem and those and, and Cummins. I wanted to stay there um, in Indy because I really love the community. It's a great place to, to raise a family. The cost of living's great. There's super awesome culture. But the tech community is wonderful. And I wanted to be a female CEO and founder helping build one of those next companies that could pop in, in the Midwest and specifically in Indiana. We've got great schools. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of fantastic talent that comes up. We've got... These are hiring. Yeah, this, it, yeah, exactly. We do have a challenge of keeping people in, in Indiana. And, you know, kind of the message I wanted to bring to the table is, one, you can be a female CEO and start a company. And two, you don't have to go to Google or Facebook to be part of a super cool company in the Midwest. You can join these startups and be a pivotal role model and a pivotal person in a company that's really making a difference. Well, you know, the idea of what an entrepreneur is is very different. Everywhere, but yeah. that, that you can't do this here, that the money's not here. Um, is, is that your feeling or do you feel that there's not enough attention paid by the big capital markets? Well, uh, my experience is interesting and I think we probably all had very so, different experiences. Um, you know, we just closed a, a, our series seed, a two million round, and it was challenging. High Alpha is... Uh, really wonderful to have. It's just one, not yeah. 20 of them, right? Exactly. Well, High Alpha, though, is networked. So mm -hmm. High Alpha was able to introduce me to VCs in Silicon Valley and on the East Coast and all mm -hmm. over and made made really great connections. Um, but where I ended up getting funding, it came from High Alpha, Rise of the Rest, and some local Indiana entrepreneurs for this mm -hmm. first round. I can tell you now that we've closed this round I've probably had between 12 and 20 VCs from Silicon Valley knocking on my door wanting to know when I'm raising money next. Next, which is interesting. Yes. What about for you, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think when I, when I look back at um, when I started with Exact Target, I really didn't really have a viewpoint of Silicon Valley like I do now. But, you know, Exact Target, it was a really interesting thing when it won out the email space. I mean, it was essentially bought by the largest cloud company. It was the number one company. And just seeing that we beat companies that were from the Bay Area, it's possible here to build a $2.5 billion market cap company. So from then on, you know, I believed you could build great companies here. You know, our company, our lead investor is Bessemer Venture Partners. I'm going on Tuesday to the Cloud 100 event. I think what's changed now, and my viewpoint's never been, it's us versus Silicon Valley. Right. It's how you That's can where most of the money, I mean, like, look, it's, I think it's, I think Steve Case was telling me this, it's half the money goes to three places, which is New York, Sil uh, New York, Silicon Valley, and I think Austin. I forget the third one. I, I think it's Boston. Boston. It could be Boston. 90%, I think. It's, it's some it's number, but then half of that goes to Silicon Valley and half of that goes to the Bay Area, yeah. not Los Angeles, you know. Yeah. Is that just laziness, Kara? Like, I don't know. I would talk, so talk about, so you don't feel like that that's... You know, when we raised our round, um, there's certain investors that want to just go down the street, you know, right. and I, I've heard, you know, you even talk about that. With, oh, Mark Andreessen won't leave the zip code, no? Yeah, so that he's not an investor, but, right. um, <laughs> you know, we... He'll be um, fine without him. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's, we might have to talk to more investors than someone in, in the Bay Area. But there's a lot of key investors that know that there's a lot of great opportunities that are just kind of under their nose if they'll get on a plane. 
Um, you know, and it's changed a lot now. And Indianapolis has, I think, four direct flights to the Bay Area. Mm. Um, you know, so it's a lot easier now. And with companies that are that are with bigger outcomes and companies that are IPOing that are not in the area, you know, it, it, there's a lot of attention that's happening now. Now, Verda is in San Francisco, but your right. funder was from here, right? I mean, the well, first- so no, um, we are funded from the Bay Area. So Sami runs our um, financial show, if you will, and obviously has done an amazing job of it. Um, but again, our connection here is. When you think about type 2 diabetes, where are the problems, right? And they tend to be less on the coast. Right. And so, you know, it was a logical place for us to set up the trial. And so, once again, we go where the problem is. And, of course, Verda operates now in all 50 states. But, like I said, again, they have a special interest in investment here in Indiana. Um, And I'm very proud and happy to be part of that here. Would you have been hard to find money here, do you think? Um. For something like this um, in healthcare, I think it would have been more of a challenge. I, I am certain of that. Would it have been possible? I think it would have just again, because we look and we said Indiana has a huge problem here. And you know, with the cost savings and return on investment when you get patients off of medications and, and get them healthy and reversing their disease is so astronomic. And so it comes down eventually to the investors and the insurance and everyone where it's a financial argument. We don't like that as a physician. I don't like that it's a financial argument. Well, um, I like it that well, it's- A lot of the things are. A like- lot of things smoking are, ultimately right. was right? Um, mm-hmm. but you know we want to help patients and get them well first but it does come down to that and I think that even people here realize that Indiana among so many other places has a serious problem I do, I do think after working at both Google and Twitter so I grew up here and I studied journalism Robin yeah. and then worked for um, both Google and Twitter and and you know there's a lot of talk you know, about the use case and the user story of who you're working for and I just it's so interesting because oftentimes some of the stuff we were working on, you just you have to get into the field to understand who you're building a product for. And it depends what you're building. I mean, with these tech companies like Google and Twitter, they're building products for the entire world. So it actually is a little scary that um, they don't touch the entire world with their employee base and might not have firsthand experience in all these places. But that, that is interesting that you have found success here with the, here with the clinical trial and that Verda made that investment. It makes, makes a lot of sense that you would do that. I want to ask... So I obviously left Indiana. I went to IU and I left um, right out of college. I left IU is Indiana University. Thank Kara, you. Who doesn't know? The people. Bobby <laughs> Knight. Yeah. All right. Explain for the people. Yeah, it's a Big not? Ten. It's a Big Ten school. It's um, a public school. Uh, my whole family went there, so it's clearly where I was going to go. Um, I, you know, I left the state and and I I moved to DC and I moved to you know different cities to find my career. I left because I, I, I love Indiana now, but I left it at a time when I just felt like I couldn't be here to, and truly be myself. Tell me a little bit about the challenges of running a company in the state, especially a technology company, given the political state, you know, given the different kind of culture wars that are happening here. Who wants which to jump one? in yeah, first? I'll, I'll, I'll be brave here. Because <laughs> you were at Salesforce, which was a big fight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and ultimately Salesforce helped shift the, the whole dynamic of that, you know, and I think that was a great example. Talk about that. Yeah, I was actually out of the state. So I, I like you, I left. I didn't go very far. I went to Chicago. Um, and so I was actually out, out, you know, I was there when it was happening. I remember being in a restaurant and people just talking about it, you know, so I was sort of embarrassed. You know, talking about specifically, was this when Governor, Governor Mike Pence? Yeah, that was when the issued, RIFRA thing went down. Yeah. And, and this was the bill that, was this the bill that would not allow, would allow, um, it was the Baker bill, right? Like it was, people could it was turn away. people. You, you could base it on religion, on religion or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's an anti-gay, I, anti-LGBT bill. Yeah. So I think ultimately, 
in the end, it, you know, I, I don't think that spoke to the entire state. I think, you know, for me, that, that didn't represent my views and I think a lot of people that I know. So I think we unfortunately get biased, but everybody does too, right? Bay Area is liberal and, you know, I mean, everybody has their biases, but I think um, setting politics aside just for a second is that the business climate here to starting tech companies is very good. You know, there's so no- So it's friendly to- Yeah, there's no cloud tax. Mm-hmm. Um, example was when the scooters arrived, they were taken off the street, but they were back on and set up with, you know, through the city in a matter of days hmm. through one, you know, city council right. meeting. It's been so, months in San Francisco. So that's great. And I think Indianapolis is, in particular, just like is, is a, you know, it's an urban community. So it's going to have more educated people. It's going to have a different viewpoint than just, you know, um, rural Indiana as an example. And rural Indiana, where I'm from as well, is sort of the left behind and that sort of thing. So we're kind of this state that's got a pretty good even population of people living in urban areas and as well as the rural areas. And that's kind of the conflict that I think, you know, sometimes you see on the view, the views within the state. But overall, you know, it, it's, um, I, I think within the tech community, we feel like community involvement, strong pursuit of diversity. I mean, we, we all are doing a lot, a lot around those types of initiatives. And so I think it's changed from when, you know, definitely when I, when I grew up here mm-hmm. and come back, I, there's a noticeable change. And we put out so many good people is the other thing. You know, I, I say this because now, not my business or physician self, but as a mother who's starting to look at colleges, mm-hmm. and my husband and I the other day were like, wow, you know, how is it that Indiana has so many good options? You know, so many of the Purdue, great schools. Notre Dame, Indiana University. Yeah, I mean, University. they're all here, and those people are putting out tech people, mm-hmm. and tech people are needed. And yes, some of them leave, but some of them, especially if they came from here, choose not to. Um, And when we were choosing a place to live, you know, we wanted a Midwestern college town. Why? Because, you know, we knew we could get flights out. We knew we could have a low cost of living, high quality of life. And people always ask, are you going to move to the Bay Area Mm -hmm. since I work for Verda? I'm like, no, there's a direct flight, as you already pointed out. And I do just Mm -hmm. fine. But I get to come home to my, you know, oh, my gosh, we have to go to the mall. It's 10 minutes away. Do we actually do that? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, which is unheard of in other places. Right. Absolutely. So but it comes down, I'll get back to politics, but it's the money. It's Mm -hmm. the fact that you have one or two venture capitalists. And how do you get the how do you get the, the, the flywheel that happens in the Bay Area, despite the fact it's a terrible place to live? Live, an expensive place to live. It's not terrible. It's beautiful, but it's also expensive. It's congested. It's not accessible. It's not accessible. It's expensive to hire people. There's all kinds of reasons why it, it doesn't work. It isn't working, but it still works. It's still people still uh, go there. But talk about how you get capital here, because I think that's really like how do you get the flywheel of capital? Univers- you've got these amazing universities. Where is the flywheel effect of that? Where where people stay? Now you have your company. That's single company that spawned a lot of uh, a lot I'm of talking about Eric and exact yeah, target. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exact target. But you need ten of those or something like that. So, Robin, what are you talking about? Where? How do you get the capital? Because you're like venture capitalists from Silicon Valley are calling me. It should be venture capitalists here that know you. Mm, agree, yeah. agree. And I think, you know, we had a Primo as another company that had, you know, an exit. And the founder of a Primo, Bill Godfrey, stayed in, in Indiana and has put money back in several companies. So you've got, you've got a handful of those VC funds uh, that are growing. And I think, you know, part of it is there's got to be there's got to be more press about the good things that are happening in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're super great about marketing ourselves. There's great companies, uh, not just within the high alpha portfolio, but across the entire state that are very innovative, uh, that are growing, that are starting to get traction. I think part of it is getting the word out about what we have and what we're doing. And I think that helps get more money and have people um, you know, stay and invest. And, and I think that 
you know, there, there's actually probably a dozen or so venture capital firms in the Indiana area that have, you know, call them 50 to $100 million funds. Small. So, right. But like when you say that, I'm like, I think yeah. SoftBank spent that last week on lunch. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Well, you know, so not that it, that's it, good. Hello, we work, but go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's always been um, the early checks have been where you get those local and then you have to go outside of the, of the region. There's a couple things that have happened. The state um, actually launched something called the Next Level Fund. Which is about a two hundred and fifty million dollar investment vehicle that um, actually was, is outside investors that are uh, that are investing in the state, and then they receive tax benefits and things like that. And so it's kind of a win-win, and that's going to open up several check sizes of the fifty to one hundred million dollar type of investments that need to happen in companies. Um, so you know, I, I think I think it's more of an issue of drawing the big LPs, you know, directly in. Um, that are going, you know, they're choosing the, the best MERS and things in the world, but it's also getting the, the best MERS and batteries and, you know, all those top tier VCs to just do more here is probably kind of the first step. First and, then, step. and then you'll see those firms as, um, be established here. And what I think that's what happened. firms that actually don't sell? You talk about made an exit, like Angie's List made an exit, your company made an exit. The other one, I'm sorry, I don't even know. A pr- a Primo. A Primo yeah. was acquired by Teradata. So made an exit means you're not the main company. Facebook never made an exit. You know, or stay here. How do you get that? How you, it, it, it's mm. the same problem in Los Angeles. Like MySpace didn't work out. Snapchat struggling. You know, there's only one or two companies. So how do you create companies that are actually you see you envision that? I guess idea? the question is, what's the goal? Like, right. Well, the you, goal is to have a major company that doesn't exit. That well, is the well. If you think about Exact Target, Exact Target was sold to Salesforce, but Salesforce kept a presence mm-hmm. in in Indiana. They've, there's a huge tower and. Uh, a large workforce that they've employed, and you know, even IEC with the uh, with the integration yeah, of Angie's List and Home Advisor, they've kept a large presence and and have actually grown that group. There's other companies like Amarsis that have moved their headquarters. So I think we're starting to see, and, and there's some others that that have moved to downtown Indy or Indiana recently. So I think we're starting to see that influx because the the climate is good. Um, you know, we've got the good universities, the talent is here. So I think the larger companies are starting to see what they could do in Indiana. And just to make the point too, Exact Target did IPO first mm-hmm. uh, before it was acquired. So there was just as good of a chance, depending on the way things kind of, um, you know, happened with the acquisition that they could be a standalone company uh, today. Um, but I think all of us, you know, when I think about Exit, most of the entrepreneurs I talk to, we just want to build thousands of jobs. You know, we do want to build the next, yeah. you know, 10 exact targets. And we're kind of, in a lot of ways, a couple decades behind the Bay Area. You know, we've had one or two. Um, you know, we had uh, another Exit Interactive Intelligence, which was one of our um, early investors, one of the founders as well. Um, and so they were acquired by Genesis. Um, but, you know, those are two large billion-dollar acquisitions. I think we'll, we'll see more of those in the future. And I don't think you have to be based here. Again, right. like talking about Verda specifically, I mean, we're based in the Bay Area, but, you know, we definitely mm-hmm. have put a big footprint here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good for Indiana, and, you know, we expect to grow that here. Um, and once again, it's innovation happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, in the places that you'd least expect it are mm-hmm. the scrappiest people. All right, mm-hmm. when we get back, we're going to talk about what innovations are coming because one of the big ideas, I know Steve talks, Steve Case talks about it, Mark Cuban talks about it, is that you can't see ideas where you're not. And, and one of the mm-hmm. jokes I always make about San Francisco is that it's assisted living for millennials. A lot of the companies are about helping young mm-hmm. white men do their laundry or something. And they're not particularly groundbreaking ideas necessarily. And there hasn't been a really big idea lately. If you can think about it, like there hasn't been a new unicorn, a big idea in a long time. And so I think the next ones are coming from cities like this or around the country. And so I'd love to get your ideas of where things are going, especially mm-hmm. around manufacturing, around farming, around healthcare and different things like that. 
We're going to take another break back, but we're talking uh, entrepreneurship here in Valparaiso. Thank you. Indiana with Sarah Hallberg, Eric Christopher, and Robin Fleming. We'll be back after this with Erica Anderson and I. And we're back. Uh, this is Rico Decode coming live from Valparaiso, Indiana. We're here talking about entrepreneurship with Sarah Hallberg, Eric Christopher, and Robin Fleming. So the next thing we want to talk about in this section of the podcast is what are the next big ideas? And I want you three to think about this even outside of the work that you do. It's just in terms of being here, where do you think the next big innovation is going to come from? What, what is the next big disruption that you either personally or professionally would like to see? Let me start with you, Eric. Um, I, I, you always go to me first for the Sorry. Zeppelins. <laughs> um, I think... Um, Robin, go ahead. <laughs> Just top him right now. I can take it. You want me yeah, to take, take it? Take it. I, I'll buy, totally buy take it. Buy me some time. Okay, that's fine. Um, I think I'm living it. I, I truly believe that um, you know, mobile technology is, is where a lot of enterprise applications are going to go. It's not the person sitting behind the desk trying to do better marketing. That's not where the bulk of the workforce is. So um, I'm, I'm excited about what we're doing there. And if you think about the aging workforce and you mm-hmm. think about manufacturing, you think about those service workers, those construction workers, right. the, the younger workforce it was, was like born with a smartphone in their hand. Mm-hmm. So when you have kind of uh, less effective software for them, or you don't have any software at all, which is what we're seeing with kind of the safety space, they're like not interested in working. Right. Yeah, they'll go find something else that's more innovative. So I think uh, there's been some studies done on it in, you know, uh, companies who are focusing on mobile technology and riding that wave have, I think, some really big opportunities. And, and applying them to new work uh, cases. Exactly. You know, I just interviewed Sarah Menker from Grow Intelligence. She was doing farming data uh, that no one had done, no one had thought about it. And mm-hmm. she just got suddenly got very interested. She actually started a, bought a farm, or I forget. It was she, people who are grading things in these tight areas like the Bay Area don't have as much insight into where the real problems are. And as you said, there's 150 fortune. Right, um, you need proximity to the You need proximity to, to the problems. And so manufacturing would not be something everybody would think of, like and, and manufacturing safety, which is drilling further down. Sarah, what do you think is interesting in healthcare? So I think it's going to be technology and food Mm -hmm. are going to be the two big things. And so, again, I think of type 2 diabetes. I'll go back to that really quick. But interesting to know, uh, 2015 study in the Journal of American Medical Association, over 50% of people in this country, adults I'm talking about, have either diabetes or Mm pre-diabetes. And a new study showed that there are almost nine out of 10 people, adults again, who are metabolically unhealthy in some way. I mean, so there's only 10% of us left that have true, complete metabolic health. And we're not really surprised by that. But, you know, I I tell people, what if it was an infectious disease that that was happening to? And we'd all be in panic, Mm -hmm. but it's food related. And the Fact is, it's going to disable us and, you know, decrease our lifespan in a decade, maybe right. maybe more. But people are really starting to realize this is a huge problem. We can't keep this up financially, right? Mm-hmm. That's huge. And we just can't keep the burden that it's being that it's having on our quality of life. And we've tried so many things, right? The wellness idea, all these things, you know. The and, new and, idea is health span. I've been hearing it from a lot of entrepreneurs. Instead of lifespan, it's health span so that you're you may die at 100, but you're healthy until 100. Right. And but not also, hospitalized. And health span will apply to people more who are healthy now. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah. thing is that the, again, 90% of us, you know, 
in the country, adults who are not in primo metabolic health, you know, we need help now um, and we need to just get healthy. So we need to be focusing on, you know, health today. And the thing is now with the technology, I mean, who would think you could have a doctor and a health coach literally in your pocket, Mm -hmm. you know, who could be anticipating your needs now. And so when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to accountability, when it comes to support in the follow-up that's needed, you know, utilizing something as old and basic as food, but combining it with something so new and, you know, again, everywhere, like the technology that's just in our pocket, we can do some amazing things. So give me an idea right now. So I'll say type two diabetes, you know, this is a disease that people thought was progressive, thought that once you had the diagnosis, you had to have it for the rest of your life. And of course, that's not true. This is a disease reversal time. Mm-hmm. And it's not just type 2 diabetes. I mean, we're finding disease reversal in other areas as well. You have high blood pressure. Oh my gosh, you know what? Um, well, you joined Verda because we're helping your type 2 diabetes, but now you're off your blood pressure medication. Well, that would be too. disruptive to the pharmaceutical industry yeah. for sure. It would be disruptive <laughs> to a lot of people. But again, it's going back to the basics. It's almost like we've come full circle. We depended on medications for so long and it was the next new wonderful medication. And then what what happened with all these medications, right? I mean, what happened to our health in right. the time that we started getting all mm-hmm. these medications? I mean, people are like enough already. Yeah, you know, just that interesting story. I, Tim Ferriss was funding the the LSD. I've done a lot on this LSD and uh, getting people off of opiates. And it was it's a really interesting thing. People are suddenly starting to go, well, wait a minute. Maybe it isn't what we thought it was. You know, it's fascinating. It's really interesting as people start to push along the edges of things they didn't think they were going to focusing on. What do you mean it isn't what they thought it was? Well, you know, LSD had been criminalized during the Nixon administration, so everyone Uh. thought it was just, you know, hippies taking drugs, when in fact, some of these drugs are quite good, and it just needed the research dollars to go toward Mm. it. Can I tell you my parallel to that is fat, Mm -hmm. right? Well, how long did we vilify fat? And it was the worst thing ever, right? And we spent decades trying to avoid Mm. it. And the interesting thing, like I said, carbohydrates cause blood sugar and insulin to go up. Guess what happens when you eat fat? Nothing the blood sugar and, and insulin don't go up. And that's the problem with type 2 diabetes. So wait a minute, the advice we've been giving mm. for so long is actually making the problem worse? Aha. Yeah. Mm. And what's the solution? A new pharmaceutical, a $40,000 pill? No, let, let me teach you how to eat. Mm-hmm. Let yeah, me teach you how to restrict to those. Back to the basis. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the basis. Yeah. But technology tools do because people are used to playing games, they're used to dating online, they're used. They're very comfortable with it. it. And that's, that's what's right. really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think you're right about mobility. It's not it, People don't even understand how, what, a, what a massive change it is. It's powerful. Um, it, or it's also addictive, but that's another <laughs> issue. Okay, Eric, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have no time. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Good. But you really had healthcare a lot. But I do think reversing... You know everything we've done to ourselves, either through education or chemicals or all the things that's happened in the last couple of decades. You know, I think of, I always think about what what Velveeta cheese did to me in the eighties. Oh yeah, like, uh, <laughs> don't, don't, God uh, bless it. But Just yeah, leave it behind. Yeah, I, I, transportation I think is an interesting one, right? It get, how people are going to move around, right? We're talking about a lot of people and things like that, autonomous driving. Um, Indianapolis, if you spend any time there, it's you know there there is some public transit that is launched there, but you know you, you look at the opportunity to have autonomous driving, and mm-hmm. the, the, we're already set up with roads that are for vehicles and things like that. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how yeah. we, you know, change the automotive industry and everything. I think it's going to be. Really it's interesting. interesting to me because I wrote a column in the New York Times saying I wasn't, I don't have a car anymore, and I'm not going to, and I'm not using. I'm I'm doing an update tomorrow. I have a very long update. But when I first about what it's been like without any kind of motorized vehicle. Um, and I was like, "You're this is I'm on 
the edge of a trend that's going and no one's going to own cars. And I didn't mean not riding cars or anything else. I'm talking about ownership and how that's going to change the insurance industry and everything else. And I had done it from a piece that I'd done about cell phones many years, 20 years ago, when I said no one's going to have a landline phone, everyone's going to have a cell phone. And, um, and what was fascinating was everyone in urban areas gets this. Because this, we're moving demographically into massive urban areas with some people on the outskirts, but most people we live. So that's what I was talking about. But what was fascinating mm. is the reaction from the Midwest was so angry at me. It was I got so many, like hundreds of letters. They all Every single one of them was from Texas or the Midwest. We need our cars. I'm like, you don't actually. There's going to be. And I was thinking, why aren't the solutions coming from here where it needs to be solved because it will be solved in the cities with either vertical lift and takeoff or, more, or when Uber finally does make money. But it was really interesting. I was like, innovation should actually come from the Midwest to road areas and things like that versus the cities where it will be solved. Yeah, I, maybe it's because all of our engineers are leaving Purdue and going to the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, I do think it's, it's interesting because if you go around to these small towns, most of them were built on communities that were building auto parts you right. know, that ultimately helped build cars. So the, it, is, it is ironic. I, you know, I, I don't know the answers of like why, why engineers aren't focused on the problem. Maybe it's back to the money. One thing about changing how cars work is it, you know, talk about small checks, five to $10 million to start a software company. Right. You need billions to start, you know, new technology. There's a company called Rivian that's uh, Michigan-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's another one in northern Indiana as well that's kind of trying to keep compete with Tesla. So I think, you know, m- maybe more of that will start happening. Yeah, that would be really... It's transportation in the middle seems the smartest bet. But you're right, the money that it requires is enormous, is enormous. All right, I want to finish up talking a little bit about uh, what you would do now. If you were... You're all in interesting companies. You're all doing things. Um, what would you put in the Midwest to make this area take off, Indiana specifically? What would you need um, if you could sort of rewrite write things? Um, maybe uh, oceans and mountains. Okay, yeah, we can't have those. <laughs> <laughs> so go start with you. What would you, what would you need to make this a more vibrant entrepreneurial community? I think an understanding of what the benefits are here, really. I think that's one of the things that lack, is that there are wonderful things here in Indiana for people, but I think that we need to do a better job of letting people know. I think that's one of the things. And again, I really appreciate all the comments that you've made because one of the one of the comments I get all the time when I go to conferences is, Indiana, who knew? Right. You know, and I'm like, well, I, I did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like there are people who knew, you know, Verta came here. Um, there's a lot to be said for here, for the people that are here, um, for, again, the brain power that is coming out of towns here and the, and the problems that are here. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, we need to solve the problems that we're facing here in the Midwest. And, um, uh, you know, your example with the cars and, and public transport would be an excellent one. But also, again, healthcare. I mean, we are sick here in the Midwest. I'm not saying other places in the country aren't, but, you know, Indiana is number 12 in the country on obesity. And so, you know, we got to solve our problems. Yes. And all kinds of, it's really, uh, you know, and also energy. The other one is, which none of you have mentioned, like energy innovation Mm. would seem, was originally from here in many ways. Go ahead. You know, I think there's things the state can do to help bring more money into startups, um, whether that's the next level fund or other ways to provide incentives to the small startups. You know, we have a big company come in. They get a lot of state incentives. I think the smaller companies need big incentives too so that we have more opportunities. We need, we need more at-bats for the smaller companies to Does to your government from. do enough for that? Does the state government do enough for that? You talked about that one innovation 
Yeah, the next I, I, level. Then. I, I think they do anything that's in their everything that's in their means. You know that right. they're capable of. I, I don't know if they could do a lot more. I, I think uh, you look at the Bay Area. Most of the great companies, I don't know if it's most, but many, um, are founded by people that are not from there and are not from the country. So yeah. what, one idea that I would have, that, you know, because I would love more education, uh, change things long term, but if it was right now, you know, open up the ability for us to bring in all the talented people of the world to a low cost of place to bring their ideas and their capabilities. Sure. And, you know, that would be it. I mean, I think one of the things that comes out of the Midwest to say are these stories like what's happened in Wisconsin and bringing in... Um, uh, Foxconn. Foxconn. What a disaster. When it happened, you were like, what are you doing? Same thing. But then the opposite happened in New York with Amazon where they just said no. And right now, which is really fascinating, Amazon has just as many workers there in that area that they were going to put in for the gimmies they were getting. So they were going to do it anyway. They were going to, it was really interesting, this idea that you have to pay these tech companies to come mm. here, which I think is a huge mistake. They should either come there or they shouldn't. But the, Like Amazon HQ? Yeah. It, was, it wasn't coming to Indiana. No, well. You did <laughs> it, it on it. What? We, made the, we made the first cut. It was never, it was interesting. A lot of states, a lot yeah. of the social issues, it, like these, they did not want to come to a state that had, you know, partisan social issues. Just they don't want to get in the middle of it. And so they want to be areas where their workers... That feels lazy to me. I know, but I'm telling yeah. you. I actually wanted to follow up on that, Eric, about the social issues. Mark, I was at Twitter at the time when this whole religion issue happened in Indiana. And Mark Benioff, we were all sitting around wondering if Dick Costello was going to make a comment on it. You know, and obviously Twitter didn't have a business here. It didn't have a company uh, site here. But Mark Benioff, without a doubt, just didn't even go through his PR team or his policy team. He just started tweeting, we're going to pull out of Indiana yeah. if this occurs. And I just thought it was really extraordinary leadership and the kind of leader where he didn't vet that with anyone. He yeah. just knew what the right call was. Well, he is a loud mouth. Okay, well, <laughs> Kara takes one to no one. I know, it's true. Okay, last question. What is your advice to Silicon Valley? So obviously I could say, ask a question to Silicon Valley, but I'm more interested in what your advice is to the people who might be listening, who have wield a lot of power in the future of technology. What would you say? I think that, uh, you know, this whole debate of um, Silicon Valley versus the other markets and, you know, things like that, it's just kind of an interesting um, thing. But I think sort of dropping the ego a little bit, only the good ideas can come from there and only the good entrepreneurs, um, I think is sort of crazy. Like not every good Absolutely. idea is going to come from Stanford. Oh, um, amen. And so I think look at this market as an opportunity to invest in companies and don't look at it as the discount to getting good value yep. on an opportunity that won't be that big, but an opportunity to put as, as much capital that goes a lot farther and can track people. And I think that's what I would, I would say. And, and also that companies like uh, that start in Indianapolis can beat and, be, and win markets you know, from here. So mm -hmm. I think just acknowledging that a little bit more. Great. I would say get on a plane. Get on a plane, come take a look at Indiana, spend time with startup entrepreneurs, spend time with those colleges, get to know the state. Are there cornfields? Yes. Um, is it is it the heart of the Midwest in a lot of ways? Yes, but it's a, it's a wonderful place and really a tremendous amount of smart people here. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to, to get on a plane and come visit though, it, you know, it's at arm's length and maybe you'll be interested and maybe you take the phone call. I would say it's uh, don't be lazy. Come here and take a look. Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of great things happening here, and they need to pay attention. I think one of the big issues, again, in the Bay Area is not only cost, but the brain power is spread so thin. Yep. There's a lot of brain power coming out of here. Right. And so not only come here, but come to the universities and talk mm -hmm. to the people who are teaching all these future entrepreneurs and and find out you know what what their talent pool is like because it's quite amazing and 
again, investing the money will help give people reason to stay here and do some amazing things. What's interesting is that they, you know, it, Steve has been talking about this a lot, Mark Cuban's been talking about it, and others. And what's fascinating is that it doesn't sustain. There were these visits of people to the Midwest, which I thought were insulting to people here. You know, I'm going to go on a tour and, and meet Zuckerberg did that. Yeah, it was so, when he was on a... Well, that was a press junket. Whatever, he was on a tractor. I wanted to, like run them over for that. I was like, don't get on a tractor, just invest money here. Like there's all kinds of interesting ideas. Open your wallet. Open your wallet and put like, it was so, I don't know. It's just like if a If you safari. want to expand tech, going on a tractor is not where you want to look no, for yeah, it that's right, right. I mean, Especially you know, with really expensive shoes. Those well, are, right, right. Having mother of teens, I know how much those shoes are. <laughs> but you go to the halls of Purdue and you're going right. to find mm-hmm. some really that's amazing stuff. So it's just, right. you know, again, be honest about the, investment and that means being honest about the time. I'm mean, not to say that farming wouldn't have, you know, wonderful entrepreneurs, but when people are concentrating on their own family farms, we need to get to where we can know those people, people who have lived in the Midwest yeah. can know those people, yeah. know what, what they're gonna need. And then again, going to the centers where those people are getting there's, trained. There's a nostalgia of the past. And I think these photo ops we're talking about, you know, by the old, you know, abandoned green elevators and on the tractor is one thing. And there's actually, it's like a fetishizing of the, of it. But the reality is to your point, Sarah, that, you know, actually spending time in universities um, and bringing that back um, is a good piece of advice. All right. We really appreciate you all talking about this. It's a really interesting thing. We're going to go all across the country because I think there is really, uh, the talent is everywhere. Opportunity is not, including not just this country, but everywhere. And I really appreciate you all talking about it. So thank you uh, to Sarah, Eric, and Robin for coming on the show. And thank you again for Eric Anderson for forcing me to come to Indiana. No, I'm not. Great, I like great it. It's to beautiful. Have you, it's beautiful here. It's it lovely. Like I can, I've <laughs> yeah. been here. My family's from West Virginia. People always like, I, I know. It's good. And Carrie, you, you actually bought me a gift today. I did. I bought her an Orville Redenbacher. A, um, a poster of Orville if he was a hipster. Yeah. It's like he's got tattoos. He has sleeves of tattoos and I'm, I'm, I love it. All right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the rest of the popcorn festival. It's, it's incredibly lacking in popcorn, but that's another issue altogether. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Karis Hunt and Wesson. Get on it. Yeah. Like, they no longer sponsor it. I know, we, we need a call out to, to ConAgra. We want free popcorn. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher, and Erica is at Eric America. Our producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Everyone, where can we find you? Let's start. Where can we find you? Um, at Dr. Sarah Hallberg or vertahealth.com. Okay. At Anvil App. At uh, Get Zylo. Okay. All right. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, we'd be uh, really appreciated if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Special thanks to Greg Kovach and WVLP for recording this discussion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. <laughs>